Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, welcome to the very latest edition of DF Direct Weekly. This is indeed, as the name suggests, our weekly show where we discuss the latest gaming and technology news. And man, there's been a lot of news this week and a very contentious AAA release. Joining me to discuss this, first of all, Oliver McKenzie. Hey, Rich, how's it going? Fantastic. And um, a very perturbed Alex Batalia. Yes, very perturbed, Rich. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it soon, but let's just say that this has been a quite bad year <laughs> for AAA gaming. Yeah, it's not getting any better no, for you in the PC not. space, is it? Oh my gosh. No. Okay. Uh, well, let's move on to our first news topic. And uh, directly leading on from that comment about really bad PC ports, um, we're going to be talking about uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which, um, hmm, how to discuss this one? Well, first of all, I think we should talk about our coverage plans, which are basically defined entirely by our access to the game, which has been minimal to non-existent prior to a, a day before launch. Um, um, so yes, on the day before launch, we actually got a PC code from EA. Um, still no sign of the console code, so we ended up buying it. Um, so just to give you an idea of the way coverage is going to roll out on Digital Foundry, um, in theory, if everything goes to plan, if nothing untoward happens, there should be a PlayStation 5 console video up as soon as we can possibly get one out. Uh, and that is simply down to the fact that that was the first version that we managed to um, acquire. Um, and then we'll be then we'll be following that up with um, uh, consoles and PCs uh, probably coming after this direct. Obviously, we're going to do our best to get the uh, uh, the the content out as quickly as possible, but you've got to understand that quality comes first in terms of coverage. Um, but we can start talking about initial impressions, right? And uh, actually, uh, although it's all doom and gloom on the PC space, <laughs> I'm going to go to you first, Oliver, because um, console-wise, uh, how, how do we skin this onion? It's difficult, right? Because in terms of visuals... I mean, there is actually a really positive story to tell here. So why don't we start on the positives, first impressions? Yeah, I mean, my first impression is that the game just looks awesome. <laughs> like from the moment you yeah. turn it on and watch that initial cutscene, it's like it has a very CG-like quality to it. It's using some sort of RTGI technique, a probe-based RTGI technique that really looks terrific. And the game also has RT reflections, and those really add a lot to the game's presentation. They have a lot of materials like glass and metals. And it really just does look superb. And on top of that, asset quality is like super, super high. There's so many, so much density and, and detail to the models and the environments. And it really does just look really superb. So on the visual front, it's a very good looking current gen game. And I would actually say that it's up there with the best looking titles that we've seen on current gen thus far. It's very, very, very impressive. Um, a, a real visual showcase and frankly, beyond my expectations, like they really nailed the visuals here. 
Wow. And there, there are other aspects to it that aren't quite as successful. So the first of those, for me, would be image quality. Um, the game is using FSR2 to upsample a uh, high-res output. Either it looks like 1440p or 4K, depending on the mode, from a much lower resolution input. Um, so like 1080p-ish in the uh, resolution mode and 720p-ish in the performance mode. And that leads to some artifacting and some annoying issues with the image. And then on top of that, performance is quite, it's, it's not great. So in the resolution mode, the game is generally a pretty solid 30 FPS, it seems, across the console platforms. And in the performance mode, um, the game seems quite CPU limited in some areas. So it doesn't really depend what platform you play it on or what you're looking at. It will always run in like the 30s in some areas on all consoles, um, except for the uh, Series S, which doesn't have a performance mode, I guess. So that's basically the lay of the land. All modes suffer from performance issues. Image quality is... Um, depending on you, you know, where you're sitting from the display, it could be pretty questionable and whether you have motion blur on. Um, but everything else is is pretty pretty special, I think. Mm, that's a really positive take on it. And, um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if it is doing all of this stuff with raid facing, that's kind of very forward-looking for the game, right? And um, it's something that we would have wanted to champion had we seen the game earlier. Uh, but, of course, there are these performance issues and um, on the console side, of course, we can only really speculate on what the bottlenecks might be. But when you have access to the PC version, you get more of a holistic view of how the game is performing. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure how much we can take from that PC version, Alex, because, um, well, it's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, how can we describe this? I... Um, it's impossible to run the game at a locked 60, even if you've got the most powerful PC in the world. I think that's fairly uh, accurate to say, very, right? And I guess accurate. the question is, uh, can you even run it at a locked 30 on the most powerful PC in the world? So this is an interesting part of the first impressions because I, like Oliver, um, I saw uh, the, the Tom had uploaded footage to me uh, for the PlayStation 5 version. I thought, this is actually a very good looking game. I was not doubting that at all. I thought like everything Oliver said about it is very true. Um, but the first impression on PC when loading it up, beyond some bizarreness in the menu that I'll talk about in my video, uh, is that I hit the start journey button. And I was like, I can't wait to be a Jedi on a journey. And the first <laughs> thing that immediately happens is a huge shader compilation stutter. As the game starts, the, the the ship, the first transport ship goes on the screen and there's a massive shader compilation stutter even though the game is so supposed to be pre-compiling shaders. Um, and that's the thing about, you can't get a lock 60 FPS in this game due to the CPU boundedness of it. Uh, turning down settings will help it a bit, but there will still be areas of the game that are going to show you being, your GPU will just be doing nothing and it's completely CPU limited in a special way that I'll talk about in a second. Um, but then even if you were to try to like, say lock down, you want to like really lock down to like 40 FPS, 50 FPS, 30 FPS. Uh, if you can stomach that, I can't, um, if you want to do that, you're still going to be confronted with stutters, either of the, the shader compilation variety or more common is actually traversal stutter where things are quite obviously loading in. Uh, and these are spikes on a 12900K in excess of like hundreds like saw like a 200 millisecond spike here or there, 100 milliseconds, 80 milliseconds. Um, and I don't think that is acceptable at all on a PC release, um, especially with the frequency that is occurring in. And so for me, this is kind of a game that should not be being sold at the moment on PC. 
Uh, I kind of thought Gotham Knights was the same way at launch where I was just like flabbergasted that it was even shipped. Uh, this is quite obviously to me a game that needed two to three more months uh, of serious hardcore patching. Uh, and the thing that makes me say that in relation to Gotham Knights is about the CPU bounded performance in this game. So when I look at a game like Cyberpunk, Plague Tale, um, what was, it's another one I always use, Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, there's a couple other ones that you can also use as well. But when in those games, when you're CPU limited uh, on a many threaded processor, let's just say like a eight core Ryzen or something like that. Or maybe just even a six core Ryzen. Let's just say six core 12 thread Ryzen. You can see that a ton of threads are being used uh, when you're like out there in this big open world with ray tracing on, which is always what I use. Spider-Man's another great example. You can see the processor at work. If you were to measure the wattage of your PC, you'd see it's consuming a lot of energy. In this, <laughs> in this game, in this game, uh, there's like a couple of threads doing work and only two threads though doing all the main work that you can see. They're like at 80% usually all the time if you unlock the frame rate. Uh, okay. And that means the game is not at all using the wealth of processing power your PC has available to it in its many threaded form, like many modern processors. This is the huge core issue with the game. And I don't understand how it could have been shipped like this for the first part. And we can all talk about that in a second. But I think it needs many months of work to get in a shippable position because I think this game should not be being sold at the moment. Um, so on PC, at mm. least. On PC, at least. Well, EA put out a, a kind of, uh, uh, well, how can you describe yeah. it? A warning tweet, if you like, saying that there's weeks ahead of patching, mm, yeah. which kind of suggests that, well, they put it out knowing it's not finished. And it does feel like a, a beta product. And when you describe beta, it's feature complete, but hasn't really... Uh, been polished or, or, or indeed finished. That's kind of the impression that we're getting here. And it's it's not great, is it? And it's funny that you're talking about two threads being used mm -hmm. and the rest kind of mostly dormant because, like, you know, I kind of thought, the first thing I, th I thought when you said that was, that's exactly like Crisis 1. <laughs> it is. <laughs> two threads going to town and then the rest are just bleh. <laughs> So I do wonder whether it's as simple as like a, you know a simulation thread, a render thread, and then like you know peripheral work given to the others, if at all. I think that's the design of UE4 though. In general, I don't think it has like a modern threading scheme. It has a kind of old school render thread, game thread, and then uh, subsidiary threads doing something else, maybe audio and uh, or in this case DirectX 12 draw calls for um, ray tracing. If you turn on ray tracing, you'll see many other smaller threads doing like 20% work at times, 20 to 30, sometimes 40% work, but it's still those two main threads that are the limiting factor. Yeah. Well, I don't really know what to say about that because it's it's a profound disappointment, right? And obviously, um, you know, it's it's one of these things that's obvious to, to, to everyone and it's currently being review bombed on Steam. I think there's like a 33% user satisfaction wow. rating. That's That's really, really bad. Um, I do think that there are arguments towards not releasing a, a particular version of the game if it's not ready. Um, because, you know, if you think back to something like Red Dead Redemption 2, we had to wait a long time for a PC port on that ride. But when it came, it was actually really good. And yeah, right. um, just sort of dumping it out at launch with the console versions, which in themselves look as though they need additional work. Yeah. It's not great. 
Um, let's take a, a supporter question. This one from Christopher Hamilton. EA sneakily snuck in a confirmation in the Jedi Survivor FAQ that a day one patch is required for physical purchases. Feels disingenuous to call a required download of the rest of the game a quote-unquote patch. This isn't the first AAA title to put only the first half part of the game on disc in the PS5 series generation. With increasing texture sizes and other factors, it might see more games break that 100 gigabyte disc limit. Don't want to poke poke the cocaine bear, but I wonder what John's views are of this going forward in the console space. And should EA have opted for the first multi-disc current gen release? Uh, well, you know, basically, what is the point of a physical disc, right? It's so you own the code, you own the game in a physical form, and um, you know you could have gone out buying that game because you don't have high internet bandwidth. Right to to accommodate like uh, massive downloads, so yes, this is uh, you know obviously this is really not good. It shouldn't be acceptable. Yeah, all those assets do come at a bit of a price. It's mm -hmm. 150 gigabytes on Series X and PlayStation Five, and, and 100 gigabytes on PC, and 100 gigabytes on Series S. So it's a really massive title in terms of that download. Wow. Well, I guess at least the Series S isn't downloading data that it shouldn't be requiring. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, let's take this one, this question from Lil Ecto one Sorry in advance for distressing Alex, but <laughs> in 2020, I bought a 3080 and assumed my PC would be my sole gaming device for the better part of the next decade. By 2021, I'd broken down and purchased a PS5 owing to the fact that most of the titles I enjoyed were represented on PC as buggy, stuttery, poorly optimized early access versions of games that otherwise played fine on consoles. Uh, looking at you, T-Loop 1, uh, <laughs> De Dead Space, Jedi Survivor, etc. Outside of the obvious reasons, money, why are developers and publishers so hell-bent on releasing broken, buggy, or poorly optimized PC ports that seem only to tarnish their brand and generate negative reaction and reviews in the community? This is exactly the point I just raised. Would it be better to just not release the title and make it a console exclusive, albeit that one that works as intended, or better yet, release a proper PC port in a completely separate launch window that utilizes the strengths of the PC platform as Spider-Man Remastered did? Final thought. Will the state of PC game releases improve once UE4 is out of the picture? Again, sorry, Alex. So a lot of points to pick up there, Alex, but I think if I've licensed Unreal Engine, I kind of would expect the multi-platform side of things to be taken care of. That's one of the key ideas behind the, the, the engine in the first place, right? That you centralize resources into producing a game. And then for the most part, you've, you, you know, you get your versions kind of, you know, pre-baked as it were. Something's clearly wrong here and um, it keeps happening. Yeah. How do you want to how do you want to tackle this this multitude of questions? There's a lot here. I, I just <clears throat> just I, I don't also like you. I'm perplexed every single time one of these releases occurs, uh, and as to why. But this is going to sound very cynical. Um, but I think it doesn't really help the review landscape as it currently is structured, um, where you get like for example, a game could be sampled maybe uh, for the main review on like a PlayStation Five. And then the other versions are not sampled. So the review is covering perhaps the version that they put all their money and time and you know, everything into. But then you get 
you know, uh, to the Xbox Series X version or the PC version, which is obviously going to be the worst because that's the way this rolls. And it's not sampled and it's not reflected in the reviews at all for a game. And so the the mindset of people who are going to be buying the game on PC or elsewhere is like, oh, this reviewed well, so it's got to be good. But then you load it up and you're like, oh, this is actually really bad. Um, so I think that that procedure is not really great. And I wish I do really wish technical considerations were added more into even mainstream reviews because we're in a. The, the, to be fair, there were some comments about performance on yeah, this, but I'm not sure I saw a dedicated still, PC review. Still, as such. like a super high Metacritic score, and uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I feel like we're in a technical medium. Like, I'm just imagining you go to the theaters and you're watching, uh, let's say. The Empire Strikes Back, and in the first thirty minutes of the film, there's uninterrupted stuttering every single time Han Solo speaks or something. You know, you know, like I'm just, I'm just thinking about like that's all. Film is also a technical medium, and things like that are just not tolerated there. We shouldn't tolerate them here. You've just, you've just raised some hilarious uh, <laughs> possibilities there. Just imagine the lightsaber fight, Vader and Luke. The first time Vader activates his lightsaber, there's like. You know, you're basically left waiting for 300 milliseconds <laughs> while, the shader, while the shader loads. Yeah, I know. It's just like, uh, so those, those things always perplex me. Um, I would vastly prefer the Spider-Man situation where a game is released eight months to a year later almost, uh, but it's in a state where I'd consider it sellable, unlike the Jedi game is right now. UE4 out of the question? I don't know. What do you guys think about that part? I could say something about it, but I'm curious what you have to say, Oliver, like about UE4. Uh, <laughs> I mean, UE4 on consoles is not, is not the same as UE4 on PC in terms of its infamy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd like to say the situation will get better because it seems like with UE5, Epic has really devoted a lot of resources into making sure that games are performant on PC, that they come in in good state on PC, that they come in without massive shader pre-compilation or compilation issues things of this nature um but it's hard to really see it getting that much better because games are getting a lot more complex and as games get more complex and as pc is continues to be relegated as a kind of second class platform it's hard to see how that really changes unless the market dynamics are dramatically updated or indeed some engine just just comes out unreal comes out and it actually handles PC extremely well, which, you know, I'm hoping for, but I'm kind of doubting at the moment. Well, it seems to me that uh, on the PC side, uh, Epic's response has been kind of like an, an Elon Musk style <laughs> looking into it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Where, you know, basically a, a really important salient point uh, is, is raised, and then you get a, a tweet back from Musk, which just says, looking into it. <laughs> and uh, they are they are looking into it. We've seen evidence that they're looking into it. Um, and I do think that there is going to be some positive results from that. But, you know, even so, Fortnite on UE5. Still stutters. Uh, once it got the still stutters, yeah, right? So. And that's, you know, the showcase game for yeah. Unreal Engine 5. And, you know, it's going to be a lot of... Um, uh, issues here that, that are going to need to be addressed both by Epic and also by the developer because clearly the developer isn't, you know, has got to take some degree of responsibility for the game that they put out. And we're talking about like, you know, <laughs> we're looking at a generation almost. We're, we're kind of now into year two of stutter struggle 
primarily Unreal Engine. And it, we are facing the prospects that a lot of these games are never going to be patched. So we're looking at the prospect of, you know, a legacy of, of really bad PC ports that will never be addressed. Yeah. Uh, some of them are. I mean, um, Callisto Protocol did get updates. Um, I did perhaps make the mistake of trying uh, the latest version on a handheld and it's still had terrible status. <laughs> Um, yeah. The bizarre thing, of course, with Jedi Survivor um, is that it keeps saying, I mean, isn't it every boot it says it's compiling shaders? I don't know. But I think that's just got to be something that's broken in the game. Uh, right. yeah, it's, well, it says Hogwarts it's... Legacy does the same thing. Every time I boot it, it's, it there's a small uh, sort of delay while it says it's pre-compiling shaders. Yeah, it's it's like 15 seconds to 20 seconds on PC every single time you boot it. That doesn't seem right. I don't know. It seems broken. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about this, Alex, because it's a litany of basically, if you go back to your video at the beginning of the year about everything that was wrong in PC gaming, it's virtually every single point. This is every single point here. And um, it's even interesting because the menus are not right to, um, it does like menu nesting where you can't get to the options really quickly. It also doesn't have any descriptions about what the options to do. Um, when you turn things off, sometimes the performance is worse than when they're on. Uh, due to the, to the options being broken. Uh, this is just not a finished game in any sense of the word. So, mm. Well, hopefully we will see improvements. And um, wow, <laughs> I honestly don't know what they're going to do on PC. I mean, we're still in the situation with uh, T-Loop 1, yeah. where <laughs> you know we, we still can't really review it because it's a work in progress. You know, a new patch dropped yesterday. And uh, we're looking at iterative, tiny improvements from patch to patch, right? But there is genuine improvement, I think, from the launch version. I'm not sure on the texture side, although they keep saying that there are improvements on the texture side. Mm -hmm. There do seem to have been some improvements on the CPU side. But fundamentally, you know, just going to keep saying this, we're still looking at foundational problems with the port that shouldn't have been in there in the first place, should never have shipped. And looking at this, wow, you know, it's becoming um, a hot topic on social media where, you know, you're getting shaky cam off-screen footage of stuff like, well, this morning, the, the one that yep. I saw was um, uh, basically the most high-end PC unable to run it at 1080p, 60 um, on a yeah, on low, low settings. Uh, I can reproduce that know, in my video. I'm going to show it. So, yeah. And um, of, of course, you know, there's there's the kind of supplementary stuff to it as well, which um, uh, almost sort of falls into the background here, which is that, you know, you've got a game that's heavy on ray tracing support, but they only support FSR2 upscaling, which is, um, I'd say that's actually offensive at this point. Yeah, it's really bad. Because, you know, they are literally running Unreal Engine 4 here, which has access to XESS, DLSS, um, you could even do a, a Ghostwire Tokyo and uh, backport TSR from Unreal Engine 5, mm -hmm. run it on UE4. It's all been done. It's all there in the engine, but nope, we're getting FSR2 only. And yes, it does run on all systems, um, but fundamentally, the quality level is uh, questionable in this particular implementation, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And relax. And relax. <laughs> and here's the thing, right? You know, we just um, spent the uh, initial couple of minutes of this discussion talking about how good the game is, right? Yeah. But the bulk of the discussion has been about how bad the game is. <laughs> and that is not the way it should be. 
all of the effort that went into those fantastic visuals is being overshadowed by the fact that the game was launched in an incomplete state which is uh, which is which is shocking especially for pc owners and i actually feel for little ecto 1 there with his uh, rtx 3080 good gpu you know yeah and uh, you know even if you've bought a 4090 you know you can't buy your way out of this situation right <laughs> um i shudder to think what your um pc uh, console equivalent <laughs> setup is gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do obviously a run of that um just for the sake of the video but i don't think it's it's gonna be awful it's gonna be beyond awful yeah not great have we got anything else to add on this i, I think we should probably just move on and um, yeah and, uh, and just sort of try to raise our spirits <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah let's talk about something better Let's do that. <laughs> well, I've just looked at the next uh, topic on the docket. It doesn't get much better. Okay. But... <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, so our next news topic. Uh, we don't really like to talk about Microsoft's attempted merger slash um, acquisition of Activision Blizzard because, uh, well, it's kind of like exposed the sort of seedy underbelly of the games industry, uh, which basically amounts to petty bickering over Call of Duty. And um, but, you know, there has been some significant news with the uh, announcement from the CMA, which is kind of like the regulatory body in the UK, that the uh, merger slash acquisition has been blocked. Um, it's been blocked because of uh, seemingly uncompetitive advantages that Microsoft would have in the cloud gaming arena, uh, which is to say a prospective cloud gaming arena, because there isn't really one at the moment. Um, but there are some interesting nuggets of information that have emerged. Uh, the most interesting one uh, is that apparently uh, Mark Cerny, system architect of PlayStation 5, spoke to the CMA and basically said that the cloud latency issue um, that has dogged cloud gaming since day one has been resolved through the use of a, <laughs> a faster GPU. Um, it's quite ironic, I think, that you know Microsoft went to bat with Xbox One talking about the power of the cloud, which never materialized. And it still hasn't, hasn't really materialized, but it has blocked this merger in the UK, at least. Um, Alex, what do you make of this? What do you make of the cloud as a, as a stumbling factor in this acquisition? And is there actually anything to this? Do you think cloud gaming will ever take off? Hmm. I, feel, I feel like that uh, description by Mark Cerny's not applicable to the console space at all. Uh, both uh, providers, there's still a high degree of latency there. Uh, and they Well, he's saying it can be solved. And if you look at GeForce now, it can be solved, right? Yeah. They're posting latency figures that are better than um, Xbox Series yeah, X. Yeah, but those are but those are on the the this PC P PC platform with like unlocked frame rates and reflex. Some things that don't that consoles don't have, right? So. I don't know, maybe in a PS PS6 version, if they offer the equivalent of reflex as well as um complete frame rate unlocking. Maybe that's the case. But I don't see it I don't see it for the PlayStation 5 Xbox Series X generation. So that's why I think it falls. I think um I don't actually like consolidation. I've talked about this before with John on the channel, but I just never liked uh, what Activision's currently doing. And I was, and it was just like a, a blind hope that Microsoft would change the company culture and also the company's productions. That was basically what I said. Um, but in this case, I do actually think it's kind of a, I don't know, a faint 
uh, like the, I don't find the description of cloud gaming as the reason to block the merger the real reason to block the merger. Maybe there's other reasons that are subtextual uh, or that are like meta that they don't actually describe in that <laughs> declaration. Well, yeah. I mean, there was this initial bun fight over Call of Duty. The CMA did get involved in that, but then it basically turned out that they um, did a 180 on that and said, actually, Sony doesn't have a case here. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to block it on that grounds. But the concept that the cloud is the stumbling block, I find quite intriguing. Uh, Oliver, thoughts on this? Yeah, I actually really didn't expect it to go down the way it has, because based off of that prior CMA response, when they basically said, you know, the Call of Duty issue is basically, as far as we're concerned, resolved, mm -hmm. I expected that would be the end of the matter, because that seemed like the critical aspect of the dispute was the status of Call of Duty on PlayStation platforms. I still think, sort of halfway expect, the CMA and Microsoft will come to some sort of agreement. Um, hmm. uh, you know, like Pactor said, maybe a UK specific Game Pass without Activision games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, that would be grim. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe some pricing agreement. I don't know. The idea that the predominant issue is the cloud is a little bit farcical, I think, just based on the size <laughs> of the cloud market. Yeah, there isn't really a market at the moment. Yeah. Um, I guess we need to kind of look into this whole cloud situation and, and whether it is actually going to ever amount to anything. So here's the vision from um, Microsoft. This is why they have invested in the cloud. First of all, they've got a cloud. They've got Azure. So it's a question of how they can leverage it, right? Um, the strategy was to take the Series X silicon and integrate it into the cloud. Now, there's been sort of discussion how, oh, they're never going to make money on the cloud. Well, Guess what? Those um, standard x86 processors, that AMD APUs, when they're not hosting game sessions, they can be redistributed into Azure and used for different things. So, you know, basically Microsoft can enter uh, the cloud market knowing that those systems are going to pay for themselves, even if it's not via Game Pass subscriptions or anything else. It's actually a really interesting idea. Um, as to whether people want to game on the cloud, Hmm. Well, all I can really say about this is that um, the cost of silicon is going up. The generational leaps are closing, right? Um, the concept of delivering a two times uh, performance increase, that isn't going away, but the cost of it is. Now, if you look at the GeForce Now 4080 tier on, um, uh, on the cloud, right? It is effectively the horsepower of a next generation console. You could run Cyberpunk 2077 RT Overdrive on that. It's an entirely different class of experience compared to today's current gen consoles. It's got 4K 120. Um, it's got frame generation. It's got proper RT uh, hardware. You know, it's got machine learning hardware. It's the full package of what you would expect to get from a next generation console and you can get it now. And the latency is comparable with uh, console. It's leveraging the strengths of PC, but you know, why not? Um, could it actually be viable as a long-term product? I've long sent, said that this is not doable because the infrastructure on the user side isn't good enough. It's too variable um, and I have slightly revised my opinion on that simply because I now do have fiber to the premises, um, you know, about 900 megabytes per second of uh, megabits per second rather of, of download uh, capacity there. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I can do anything on that connection and I can play GeForce now and it runs pretty much flawlessly. Mm -hmm. 
a ping of about five to six milliseconds. Obviously, there is additional latency, but it feels fine. I can use a mouse. Um, frame generation works. There are some issues in that you get inconsistent refreshes, right? Um, because it's an unlocked PC experience being crowbarred into a 4K 120 stream. But it, it works, right? It's definitely the basis of something special. But I still think we're years away from anybody having access, well, everybody rather having access to fiber to the premises that actually makes this viable. And the CMA may well be looking to the future uh, as a reason to plan the to, to block the merger, though, I do think it's on shaky ground. Um, there's various uh, things that they're not happy with. For example, um, microtransaction revenue be, uh, on any cloud uh, system using their games. They want all of the money on that. So there's a lot of regulatory issues that they've got, which which are preventing this from happening. Possibly there are some remedial solutions there. Um, but I've just got to say that uh, it's the only reason this is even included in, in this um, in this direct is basically because of the Mark Cerny comment, which I found quite interesting because it demonstrates, well, I either it's a continued you know barrage of uh, rejections and and objections from Sony to stop this merger happening which um, is clearly their strategy. But at the same time, if you want to address more users, the cloud is the way forward and you've kind of got to wait for infrastructure to, to catch up. I mean, Microsoft are still eyeing areas of the world where there's really good infrastructure, but there's no means to sell a $500 console. And I'm sure Sony is looking at that too. Mm -hmm. Really interesting uh, sort of progressions here, but um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm bored now to be frank of, of all of this talk about this acquisition. Maybe it is time for Microsoft to draw a line under it and divert that seventy billion dollars elsewhere, because man, you can do a lot more than yeah, right? a lot more than just acquire Activision with that sort of money. Yeah, I yeah. think that the Microsoft Activision talk, uh, Microsoft rather acquisition talk, isn't going away anytime soon because when you think uh, about that seventy billion you could buy elsewhere in the games business, you know, it's pretty <laughs> mammoth. And the other thing is, Microsoft had some financial reporting um, two days ago, right? That's basically, where they said that their Xbox hardware revenue in financial Q three twenty twenty three versus Q three twenty twenty two was down by thirty percent, which the hard is not too yeah, great. Right. Hardware, yeah. hardware yeah. revenue. Over, yeah. Overall, uh, overall revenue on the gaming services division, I think, was down by four percent. Yeah, but their hardware revenue was down by thirty percent. So the broader picture is that Microsoft, I think, they they have to uh, have to make some advances here in terms of securing exclusives. And obviously, this year does look pretty promising in terms of Xbox exclusives. But um, you know, certainly more deals like this would help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need Microsoft to turn a corner. It's just been bad news this year. Really, there's not really been much to celebrate, right? Um, obviously, we've got Redfall happening next week, which will launch at 30 frames per second. <laughs> um, man, there's a, there's a lot going on there, but obviously, you know, there is some fantastic stuff happening. You know, we've got Forza Motorsport. Uh, oh yeah, just around the corner, Starfield. I mean, things are going to turn around. Um, but let's move on to the next news topic. So I'm going to take the lead on this one because uh, it's interesting stuff that's relevant to my interests, yes. so shall we say. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, I was approached a couple of weeks ago uh, by Microsoft to talk about their efforts in um, 
improved energy efficiency and sustainability. Yesterday, I sat down to talk with uh, Trista Patterson, Xbox Director of Sustainability, and also Tad Swift, who is uh, one of the engineering leads at the Advanced Technology Group. And basically, the game plan is really straightforward, right? It is to reduce the power emissions, or sorry, reduce the power consumption on Xbox Series games and um, basically improve efficiency and to do so without impacting the game experience, which I find really interesting, right? Because if you look in the PC space, basically you get extra performance by increasing power. And it's not an efficient way to do things because basically the more you increase power, there's like an exponential curve of more power versus diminishing returns on performance. So I went into this conversation thinking that it's an impossibility that they can actually pull this off. And um, they readily accept that, right? But actually the strategy is really different. And it is simply to, <laughs> how can we describe this? Um, change areas of a game where the user will not notice that the power consumption is going down. And therefore, when you sort of apply those efficiency savings to a game like Fortnite, which is being used by, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of users every single day, then basically the efficiency scales into some pretty, pretty fantastic um, sort of reductions in carbon emissions. And um, the example that they used was, well, it starts with really simple stuff. So, for example, when you pause Halo, Halo Infinite, um, I believe that the game is still running in the background, or at least still rendering in the background, but via a big sort of depth of field um, sort of blur. And they found that they could just reduce the rendering resolution to like 1080p. Nobody would notice because, you know, it's, it's blurred. <laughs> <laughs> and this is really an interesting example of how, you know, just small savings can cumulatively build up into, you know, reduce carbon emissions. A really interesting example um, was uh, an analysis of Fortnite. Uh, the, I think it's the new UE5 version. Um, essentially, what they did there was to um, produce a, an analysis of, of quality of upscaling, right? I think on Series X, uh, it never runs at native 4K, right? But it uses temporal super resolution to upscale to 4K from a base resolution that could go, I think it was something like 70, 75%. And uh, they basically did a series of image quality comparisons where they changed that 75, 70% resolution max to go down to 65%. You can't tell the difference from a visual perspective, but, you know, capping the upper bounds of the resolution there was like equivalent to across the year, 51 million miles of a, of a petrol car being driven. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so there's all manner of really interesting stuff that they're doing to actually make this possible. And it begins with um, visualization, uh, basically giving developers more data. So in addition to providing performance counters, they give power consumption counters as well. And um, yeah, basically the developer can actually see where uh, power is spiking. They can see overall um, power consumption. And then, you know, they can produce these invisible tweaks to see whether it actually affects consumption. And guess what? It does. And it's, you know, it's really interesting from my perspective, because if you think about it, um, Microsoft have <laughs> Series S, 
they're already producing a low power console that actually is really efficient. <laughs> the savings there via all of these techniques are actually a lot smaller than they are versus Series X. And that's simply because most of the power consumption, therefore most of the carbon footprint is coming from the GPU. But yeah, really interesting stuff. And um, I just think generally there's a philosophy here that can be applied to all gaming devices. So for example, to go back to the Fortnite example, um, that resolution cap that they've introduced has been rolled out to PlayStation 5 as well, because why not, right? They don't have the same visibility on power consumption, as far as I'm aware, on PlayStation 5. But the concept has been proven on Xbox, and it kind of works, so why not roll it out to PlayStation 5 as well? But I guess the interesting thing I want to talk about with you uh, with you guys, specific, starting with Alex, mm-hmm. um, there's a hell of a lot of efficiency, inefficiency in the PC oh, space. Gosh. Yeah, that can be resolved and actually produce a better gaming experience, I would say, or a more consistent gaming experience. Uh, one thing actually that they found with the uh, Fortnite example was by um, lowering the resolution upper bounds, they found that when you did hit a performance hotspot, um, there would be a much more smoother drop to performance uh, because there's overhead left over for the GPU to kick in and compensate. Uh, which I, which you know, we see it all the time on PC, right? When you introduce stuff like a frame rate cap, mm-hmm. I uh, I actually do wish um, frame rate caps were more because I always I, I follow performance threads across the universe whenever a game releases, and I always see almost every almost tons of people just play the game unlocked, and I think fully unlocked frame rates in modern games, unless you have a super high end CPU are actually kind of pretty inconsistent experiences, especially modern ones. Like, I mean, I don't want to use Jedi as an example, but uh, I don't know, The Last of Us even, uh, which everyone, you know, is playing, that game will also have really highs and lows uh, on the CPU graph when you look at that. And I think that's not a visually pleasing experience. And I don't think it's necessarily also a consistent mouse feel. Uh, is one of the things that I always know when you're VRR'd and you have highly variable frame rates is that the mouse feel just drastically changes depending upon what you're doing. And I can feel that because um, the mouse is such a sensitive instrument. And I feel like this would be a great thing, like an eco mode in the NVIDIA control panel would be incredible, actually, uh, or in the AMD control panel. Not just uh, ones that would perhaps lower the voltage on the GPU to get like less clocks and things like that, like the clocks not being so aggressively high because you don't get actually a lot more performance at that upper end of the curve on most GPUs, which they're now being sold at with the boost clocks that they have. Or I always forget the, the AMD version of the name, the game boost clock. I forget the name of it. Um, but um, these that's those are things that I actually would really love to see on PC gaming. The same, you know, how in Windows you can turn on a variety of performance modes for your CPU as well, too. The only thing that I'm always a little bit worried about this uh, on the CPU side of thing about throttling performance, uh, the hardware side, is that sometimes uh, due to scheduling, it can lead to stuttering games and that's a less great experience. Like there's always the example of uh, people not having their performance profile for Ryzen CPUs on high performance in Windows or something like that, 
or the the AMD Ryzen uh, master performance setting, and then they're wondering why they're getting stutter and stuff like that. Um, so that's the only thing I'm a little bit worried about the idea of these kind of things. But I think otherwise, it is a great idea because it's getting a little absurd about how much wattage something like a 13900K produces. Well, pe- people are sort of reviewing stuff, you know, products like the 4090 and discovering that, hey, if I actually reduce power, I don't actually seem to lose that much performance. Right? And um, it's especially relevant now where uh, the cost of electricity is, is gigantic. I mean, it is starting to, to drop now, but it's still... You know, certainly from my perspective, I'm still paying twice as much as I was last year. Oh, I am too. So, yeah. It's it's kind of nuts. Any thoughts on this, Oliver? I'll tell you something else that um, uh, cropped up in this conversation. Um, this is all basically based on um, giving developers tools to monitor power consumption on a console, right? And, and to make adjustments during game development. Um, but there is talk of actually producing um, eco modes and eco options that are kind of user facing so you know maybe you would want to have an eco mode for your game in addition to a performance and quality mode um i don't know what you think about this whole thing well i mean to me i think that the bigger savings and the easier place to get them is to just like microsoft i think they made it by default that the console no longer goes into like a low power saving mode anymore it just goes off yeah or something similar to that uh, mm-hmm. relatively recently. I think those are the better areas of power saving because if you're bringing a console that could be mostly in a power saving mode where it's consuming like 10 watts or 5 watts into a mode where it's consuming 0 watts with very little impact in the user experience, that's going to save a lot of wattage without, again, without that kind of potentially impacting the actual gameplay experience. And then, of course, in things like menus, there are lots of easy wins, I'm sure. But in terms of the actual game experience, would I want to engage in eco mode? <laughs> Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> but on, on the PC <laughs> side, I absolutely do think that like with my 4090 system, the 4090 does not need to ever run at 450 watts in my experience. It can be brought down quite a bit. So I wouldn't mind just an option to cap it at like 400 or 300 watts or something just for regular use because there's so little performance gain when you go to those really high wattages it's sort of impractical and it makes my room really hot (laughs) yeah something else that Fortnite does um which i found really fascinating is that you know they've got telemetry right and they found that a lot of people were just leaving the game running on the uh on the lobby screen so what happens now is that (laughs) um if you just leave the game running on the lobby screen They'll gradually turn down the resolution to reduce the co- uh, to, to reduce the power consumption, <laughs> and why not, right? And um, you know the other thing that they do is that if you leave the game for quite a while on the lobby screen, it won't update at sixty frames per second anymore. It will it will it's drop down out. to thirty. Yeah. So basically, it's all of these ideas that are based on um, telemetry, which is okay. Well, we've got a lot of idle time happening here. Uh, why do we need to run the GPU flat out? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there based on, you know, it's all data driven and it's all designed. The primary thing that they're saying here is that they don't want to reduce the fidelity noticeably. And, um, you know, it's, it's just efficiency savings, basically. Um, which I found really, really fascinating. A couple of interesting things, you know, questions I did ask, uh, they're not going to have any plans to reduce the fixed clock on Xbox consoles. So the CPU and GPU will still be running at their fixed clocks. Mm -hmm. 
Um, a point I did raise to them, and I never expected to get a reply out of them, is that, you know, well, if you're interested in reducing power consumption, uh, why not transition Xbox from seven nanometer to five nanometer <laughs> silicon? Uh, which is which would produce profound energy savings across every new device that, that comes out. I'm guessing there's that's going to happen at some point, right? But obviously, I'm not going to get a new console announcement out of a, a briefing on sustainability. <laughs> but you know, the point is that that is very definitely a, a, a reason why you could go down to uh, silicon, even you know, uh, more efficient silicon, even if the cost per transistor is still static, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots going on in that discussion, and I think it really is interesting. And Oliver, you were talking about the um, the new low power uh, standby modes on Xbox. That's actually really clever stuff, and I think it's worth highlighting. What they're doing there is um, basically putting the Xbox into a dormant mode, and whenever you have like title updates, system software updates, they turn your um, Xbox on to do those um, updates when there's not a lot of um, stress on the grid, Mm -hmm. on the electrical grid. And this is the way I charge my electric car, right? I have a special tariff, which gives me low um, energy costs uh, for charging my car at specific times uh, when the grid isn't under stress, when the carbon um, output is low. It's just the best way to do it. It's just really forward thinking stuff. And I do hope we see more, right? And um, the point that Microsoft wanted to end the discussion with is that, you know, basically it is going to require somebody stepping up to make this stuff happen, but it is the idea to make this sort of generally accepted practice. I think that's fantastic. Um, But let's move on to the next news topic. Oh, wow. The Asus ROG Ally. (laughs) <laughs> it was, uh, I, I don't know how to say this, it was kind of re-announced this week. There was a major PR beat from ASUS, uh, which was um, delivered in combination with the official announcement of the Z1 and Z1 Extreme Silicon uh, from AMD. And I find this really interesting because um, AMD have actually embraced the concept of handheld PC gaming more generally. And um, they're producing silicon designed for handheld gaming, which uh, they've done it with, obviously, Steam Deck, but not more generally before. Uh, Oliver, got any thoughts on this one? I've got a lot of thoughts on this one, Rich. (laughs) (laughs) I actually found this really curious because if you look at the performance numbers between the two chips that were announced, so there's the Z1 and Z1 Extreme, the performance differences in most of those benchmarks, and I'll have this on screen here, are quite slim, right? And it does seem kind of like I said the other week, it does seem like this is probably down to that memory interface, which seems to be bottlenecking the performance of the Z1 Mm. chips, Z1 chips rather, especially at high wattages, right? And they're testing these at 30 watts. So I actually did a little bit of testing on this and I ran the Tomb Raider benchmark on my Steam Deck and I ran the Borderlands 3 benchmark on my Steam Deck and I got 57 FPS in the Tomb Raider benchmark relative to 62 FPS in the Z1, 98 on the Z1 Extreme. But then on Borderlands 3, I got 56 FPS relative to 62 FPS in the Z1 and 66 on the Z1 Extreme. Hmm. I can't be certain that these are the same tests that they're using, but all the games that they benchmarked, I believe, have built-in benchmark modes. So I'm assuming that they're using the built-in benchmark. And so to me, what that really says is that these devices, as configured, 
are going to be quite bandwidth limited. So we do have the 6800U devices, um, which are using the uh, essentially the same fabrication node. Um, it's six nanometer versus seven on the deck, but you know it's very very similar. Um, and yeah, at 15 watts, there's very little difference between uh, the 6800U and the uh, Steam Deck. The performance only comes with extra power consumption, right? Uh, at least 22, 20 to 22 watts to get a meaningful improvement over Steam Deck. So the move to like four nanometer silicon for the Z1, Z1 um, seems possibly to solve that problem. But you're right. I mean, those benchmarks were really, really weird. Um, to see the difference between a four compute unit part and a 12 compute unit part being, uh, you know, basically a third of the silicon delivering at least half the performance from what I could see from that. And, and a lot of the time, much closer still. Yeah. yeah. There's also one test, the Far Cry 6 test, if you look at that, where the Z1 is getting 61 frames per second, the Z2, or the Z, Z1 Extreme, 59 frames per second. <laughs> yeah, right. So, right. I would, that's got to be CPU, right? I'd hope so. Well, I mean, you know, it's weird <laughs> it for them to publish that. <laughs> I wouldn't publish yeah, they that. Should, it, is a, it is a bizarre thing to publish. Uh, the thing about uh, Junior Engine is it's 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 notorious for being uh, essentially run off a single thread. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. So, yeah, I think possibly the reason you're getting a lower performance level there is that, you know, basically the CPU is hogging the power budget and then the rest of the power is spread over more CUs. Mm -hmm. So that could possibly explain that one. But yes, advertising that, very odd indeed. I'm, I'm reminded of Vega 64 uh, here in terms of like the, we saw at the tail end of GCN's lifespan that increasing the amount of CUs uh, and the amount of, uh, or well, the amount of actual like compute power wasn't doing much for performance anymore because it was incredibly bandwidth limited. And that's why things like Fury X came about in, in, at all. Um, and here I'm actually interested in the fact that I'm, I'm really curious if the Infinity Cache is actually doing a lot for performance with the amount of Infinity Cache there is. Do, do they have Infinity Cache on these? I thought it was 24. Chips? Wasn't it 24 megabytes? Am I, am I recalling I this incorrectly? I could be. Um, I don't know. But if not, uh, I think it's very interesting that bandwidth, being bandwidth bound is actually showing how there's surprisingly, like that, that one test you just said, like the one third versus like one third the silicon half the performance. That's actually really yeah, telling. Or more. Or more. That's super telling <laughs> yeah. about the limitations here. Uh, there's been a leak of a $700 price point, which um, I hope is true, but does seem wildly optimistic. Um, hmm. If it is true, if it is true, it's only $50 above the 512 gig Steam Deck. Right. Uh, with a pretty substantial specs advantage, if not uh, OS and ecosystem advantage, which would probably you'd rule in favor of the Steam Deck on that one. But it's mm. it's pretty if if that is true, and again, big grain of salt there. But it does seem like you know pe various people who have shipping manifests and things like this have uh, <laughs> have pulled that number out. I think that's really exciting, and frankly, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up with one in, in short uh -oh. order. If that is <laughs> nice. Well, I'm a big fan of these things. I also have an original Ioneo, so just to show you how much of a sucker I am. <laughs> well, speaking of Ioneo, they, they had to react, right, because their entire line, the Ioneo 2 and the uh, Air Plus, um, are based on the 6800U, which mm -hmm. is, you know, 
it is comparable in performance terms, but not in battery life terms. And they actually had a product announcement this week, which is, well, they're going to be uh, allowing users of 6800U devices to upgrade their motherboards Whoa. to 7000 silicon. All of their existing 6800U devices, the ANEO2, ANEO Geek, ANEO Air Plus, um, they're going to be receiving uh, 7,000 upgrades from the factory at some point. So I guess they had to react in that way, because why would you want a 6800U device if ASUS is coming to market with, you know, a much more efficient, potentially more performant device? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, lots going on in the handheld PC space. I'm also really happy that AMD are taking more of a uh, uh, more of, own, of an ownership stake in that space because there's been issues with um, power consumption on Windows. You know, you run Steam Deck on Windows, it doesn't seem to be anywhere near as efficient in terms of battery life, whatnot, than it is on, under Linux. So I'm hoping for improvements there as well. Um, obviously, we really want to go hands-on with this device because it's potentially quite exciting, right? Uh, especially as there are quite a lot of games emerging that are now too big for Steam Deck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're really looking forward to, in, to seeing that. Uh, but let's move on to our next segment. Okay, so we're going to plow on straight to supporter Q&A. This is the part of the show where our supporters offer up questions every week. Uh, we choose the best or rather the best that we can answer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's crack on with this question from Concrete Llama. If RT slash path tracing becomes the primary focus of the next generation of consoles slash graphics cards, could we end up in a situation where they're only good at RT and terribly, potentially worse than the current gen, at current rasterization techniques? So, Alex, this doesn't seem likely, right? But at the same time, I'm remembering the Radeon, I think it was the 6800, 6870, mm -hmm. uh, being slightly less performant than the 5870. That was, Is that right? Yeah, but it was it was slightly less performant in some things, but better tessellation performance, if I recall, right? Isn't, isn't right. that the deal uh, from back then? Gosh, that's a... That's a <laughs> A deep, a deep cut. It <laughs> uh, took a little bit. Um, there's, there's, there's technical. So this has been written. I've read some things about this in the future. It's like currently on a GPU. If like so, the GPU's got a bunch of units, a bunch of subunits on it. TMUs, or ROPs, whatever. Um, in in the GeForce, you know, you've got the RT core, you've got the Tensor core. These are all un subunits uh, that are sharing resources at times. Um, but when you're doing certain things, like when you're doing your shadow rendering pass, like shadow map rendering pass, a lot of the GPU is completely dormant on the C on the compute unit side of things. So a lot of people use asynchronous compute when shadow maps are rendering to increase the overall throughput of the GPU. So if you move fully to path tracing or fully ray traced rendering, a lot of the units on the GPU are actually going to be dormant uh, when that is running. And it's one of the interesting aspects of a GPU that it is just this huge conglomeration of things now. Uh, on a technical level, to increase ray tracing or path tracing performance in a pure path tracing workload where you know there's none of these rasterization, rasterization things going on, you could develop a chip that is missing a number of these units and are instead software emulated. The fixed function units are instead software emulated. Uh, and then you'd maybe potentially have a faster chip that only does ray tracing or something like that because it's missing all these units and they can spend that die area on something else. That's a theoretical position and it's probably super unrealistic, 
because the idea is then you'd lose complete backwards compatibility at that point. You could have the potential situation that uh, the current the current newest gen GPU or console you're offering uh, doesn't actually perform as well as the old ones in the same tasks because it's being emulated. Uh, this was a really this is what Intel tried to do with Larabee. It was going to be like everything was going to be done in software for the most part, and that's why the project <laughs> failed. I think because it it could maybe do really cool things. They showed off like, I mean, it was running at 25 FPS at the time, but they showed 720p ray tracing on Larabee running enemy territory Quake Wars, right? But like, what about Quake Wars running without ray tracing? How does that run? They didn't want to show those numbers probably. Um, so I think this is an interesting theoretical thing, but I don't think it's very realistic um, for these fixed function units to go away anytime soon. Yeah. Thoughts on this one, Oliver? I think from my perspective, the um, the concept is slightly flawed uh, because I, I honestly think that the idea of a standard console generation is basically dead now. Yeah. And um, it's, it's basically we're looking at evolution of existing silicon and that evolution cannot see a regression in performance over the prior generation. Yeah. It's got to be bolt-on extras. I think we're always going to see rasterization hardware uh, and very important rasterization hardware in silicon. I just can't see rasterization going away to any massive degree for consoles or other hardware, especially considering you've got a massive library of backwards compatible titles or older titles that you'll need to maintain very good performance in, right? I could definitely see the emphasis shifting over to fairly dedicated RT processing but I couldn't really see them going away to any substantial degree or any kind of meaningful performance regression because I don't think users would accept that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Interesting idea, cool. but we'd be looking at a, uh, a completely sort of fundamental shift in the, the way that games are made. And the financials, I don't think, would support it, right? Because you've got to... I don't think the cross-gen situation is going to go away completely. I think... When a new hardware comes along, there's going to be another extended cross-gen. So, yeah, I don't think that would work. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this one's from Daniel H. Hi, DF crew. Big fan. Wanted to get your thoughts on what lies ahead for 8 gigabyte cards. Are 3070 owners, and this is in block capitals, doomed <laughs> to muddy textures and single-digit 1% lows? Is there any hope that direct storage, GPU decompression or sample of feedback streaming, right? Give these cards a new lease of life. And where does the balance lie between quote unquote poor optimization and the realities of increasing memory requirements to accommodate increased fidelity? Love your work. Hope Alex gets to enjoy one good PC release this year. <laughs> that, wow. That'd be nice. So yeah, I think we should sort of, uh, well, I'll certainly restate my position on where, where uh, this all sort of lands. First of all, I don't think NVIDIA or AMD or anybody should be producing an eight gigabyte card in the 60 class or higher, right? Because 60 class is basically defined um, from my perspective as, you know, basically constant equivalent or better, right? So you don't want to be in a situation where you're having to reduce fidelity to accommodate an eight gigabyte frame buffer. That's on the one side. However, on the other side, the commercial reality of producing a PC port is that um, if you want to have a good experience for users on a majority of hardware out there, 
you can't do a Last of Us Part 1. You can't put out a game where the visuals are incredibly compromised to the point where you, you know, it looks pretty hideous on an 8-gigabyte card. So, you know, basically there's a forward-looking perspective and then there's the, the, dare I say it, the here and now, which is that, you know, if you're deliberately going to put out a compromised experience for a market where the bulk of users active in that AAA space have got eight gigabyte cards, it's kind of suicide to do that. Um, yeah, well, your thoughts on this, Alex, because your position on this has been misrepresented left, right and center, <laughs> I think, yeah. by looking at online discussions. Yeah, so the funny thing is back when the 3070 launched, there's probably a DF Direct of me or some sort of, I don't know, statement from me saying, man, I have no idea why that 3060 has 12 gigs and that 3070 has eight. That's pretty stupid. Probably said something like that. Um, but also, I've also always maintained that a GPU that you buy doesn't guarantee a, um, a settings net moniker. A 4090 doesn't guarantee ultra. Um, it, it does, a, a 3060 doesn't guarantee ultra 1080p for me. What it does, cause those are just names. What it does is you should expect quality across the board because we should expect scalability in PC ports. That's the point. So you should be able to turn down settings and you should have the game not look like, uh, dookie. It should not look bad, right? It should just not like this. The, the last of us situation is what I consider poor scalability because you're getting textures there on an eight gigabyte GPU, which don't seem justified in comparison to other other games that also run on eight gigabyte GPUs. And that's the point. That's where you have this context of, okay, this game does it poorly. This game maybe does it better. Like I will say um, the Plague Tale Requiem, for example, does it tons better than The Last of Us Part 1 on PC. Uh, and also has a quite a low memory footprint from what I can see. Yeah, it does. It's it's actually incredible how that game looks versus The Last of Us while running the way it does. Um, but I think uh, we're in a really dark chapter where I think I'm I'm same with same opinion of Rich. I don't think you should launch a 60 series card with eight gigabytes uh, in that tier anymore. Uh, but also we're in the series this era right now where PC ports are launched in a completely uh, unshippable, my opinion, should not be sold state and for a lot of them. Uh, and um, uh, this is awful. Like, because uh, like the thing is, I would usually say, yeah, direct storage, sampler street fe feedback streaming, um, virtual texturing, which is what UE5 is all about. You know, I think actually UE5 files are going to be pretty great on 8 gigabyte GPUs. Um, but I don't actually, at this point in time, considering the state of PC ports, the way they're launched in, I don't really expect uh, developers to go out of their way to make the PC experience better uh, by investing more time and money in these things. That's really sad. Uh, I would usually say, like, in the past, yeah, the future is going to get better. But here, in the current mire we're in, I almost don't expect these things to come about into great usage at the moment, which is... Uh, because they would really help 8 gigabyte GPU sampler feedback streaming or sampler feedback as shown off by Microsoft had a huge uh, impact on the amount of VRAM that was required for high-end visuals, for high-end textures. It was incredible, the, the, the differences they showed off there. But I don't almost expect any developer to use it at the current rate we see games coming out and their quality. So at the moment, uh, I think you're slightly, we have to, you're like, be used, you know, get, start getting used to turning down settings 
Uh, but as soon as you realize that the game has to look awful for you to run well on your GPU, that is a problem with the port, in my humble opinion. It should look not as good as something with 16 gigabytes or 12, but it shouldn't look awful. That's the whole point that, I, that I'm going to throw across there. And yeah, my, my opinion on this has been completely misrepresented. For some reason, people think I think eight gigabytes is the future or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> literally, I would never say that. And the whole point is I think I think PC ports should have good scalability. Uh, oh, just one last thing I want to say is that when a PC port comes out and it's in a bad position, you should not be trying to like make this about uh, eight gigabyte GPUs being obsolete or you should not make it ab about this PC APIs and ecosystem being a big problem. You should make it about the fact that the port may have issues and should be should not have been released or should have been should be patched to a standard that is good. So like The Last of Us, um, Forspoken, it's going to be Jedi now, uh, uh, Hogwarts, Gotham Knights. If you use Gotham Knights to win points about platform wars back in November or whenever that released, my goodness, imagine that, you know, like you should be putting these things at the developers, like saying, this is a problematic release. It's not my GPU. It's not my CPU. It's your code, you know? So that's the way I feel about that. Yeah. I mean, the user shouldn't be needing to buy their way out of that situation. No, of course not. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's move on to the next question. This one, actually, there's a couple here. Uh, this one from Blim, which isn't the question at all. I enjoyed the content from your new PC fellow, Don. <laughs> and then a question from Alan Linkfist. How did Don feel after his first video? The internet usually picks on whoever is the new guy, but the comments <laughs> felt pretty positive. Hopefully that was his impression as well. I think his first video was great. Uh, I've not heard from Don since we published. I have, Actually, I have a couple of couple of lines, but um, you've spoken to him. Is he all right? <laughs> He's all right. I mean, uh, obviously, I, I can only speak uh, secondhand for him about how he felt, but he was obviously nervous, as anyone could be about putting their first video he was also a little bit annoyed with himself because there was comments about like the echoing of the mic and that was just an export error it wasn't like the way his video should sound or something like that uh but in general i think he was pretty happy about the feedback that everyone gave him under the video um it's his first video it did uh it accomplished the goals of what it was set out to do it you obviously you should expect changes in the future probably about like how how much you know like the way the style of video is set up the efficiency of like the way information is brought across to the user these are all things that we optimized when we started working like my videos now versus how they were four years ago whatever uh, are very different and it's going to be the same thing with don um so that's really great and i think I think he was very generally overall pleased with the way people reacted. And I love the comments under his video that we're all encouraging about a new voice at DF. Yeah, and it was also quite nice to actually see a PC port that, while not perfect, yes. actually seemed to be finished to some degree. <laughs> yeah, rarity. Like I say, it's a rarity. Although, you know, I do think, uh, you know, no DLSS. In a UE4 no title, XCSS, I have no idea what In that a UE4 is. title, yeah. that's outrageous. That's just not good enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to bring you in on this one, Oliver, because it's not so long ago <laughs> since you posted your first video. Yeah. What, what, what is? How does it feel when that goes live? I guess like 18 months ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my first nervous, one was a Ghost excited. Runner. <laughs> I was All very right. nervous for my first video, but I, I've, I've been working in media um, 
in news media for a long time. So it was like my first video was, I was very nervous about that. And then after that, it kind of went away very quickly. Um, Cause I had, <laughs> I have a lot of experience, I guess, in high pressure situations. And it was just about adapting to that. And then after that, it was, yeah, I don't, I don't really feel anything with it when a video goes out uh, that's negative, I guess. So yeah, it took me, it, it just took me that first one. And then over time, of course, the quality level of the videos, I think increased as well. So yeah, that's just my experience. Yeah, it, it takes a while to truly feel comfortable, but like that real like nerve wracking mm -hmm. issue, <laughs> that for me went away after the first one, thankfully. <laughs> it's actually really difficult to, when you sort of gain access to our tools to fully understand what the data is telling you as well. That's that's kind of challenging. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on there. And um, it was, I think, almost a blessing that the port was fairly decent. I'm happy for, for him. Dead Island yeah. 2. Because that, that definitely made things a lot more easier to handle. I guess as a newcomer, it, it would be extremely difficult to deliver a damning indictment of a really bad <laughs> game on, on your first video. So thankfully that didn't happen. Um, let's move on to our final question. This one from Sedvik Weber. Hey, DF peeps. I just want to know if Alex, Rich and John will make a, B a BF3 retro-like video for Grand Theft Auto V because of its 10th anniversary in September. The Far Cry 3 and BF3 videos were really well received by the community, and I wonder if there are any specific titles which will be getting retro status in the near future uh, you're looking ahead to do coverage for. Thanks for the system-relevant content. <laughs> And greetings from Frankfurt, exclamation point. So Alex, this is basically our retro time capsule PC format, where originally it was just taking a look at PC games as they ran on the hardware of the day, but has since been expanded to include, uh, with some success, I might add, um, console comparisons also from the same era. The concept of Grand Theft Auto V being... <laughs> deemed retro because it's 10 years old is is quite fascinating though isn't it john's stance which i like um i think actually gta 5 is less interesting for this series just because the pc port came out later and mm. you would have like this maybe you could run that pc port on that hardware of that kit of 2013 i don't have 2013 hardware in a cpu capacity i don't believe but a 2500k would be fine enough i imagine um Rather, I think uh, uh, I, I would prefer to do GTA 4 uh, first right. because uh, it's infamous, right? It's known for being a bad PC port. And I, I think I showed off a video. I don't remember how long ago it was where I tried to run it on modern Windows and I, it just kept dropping to 20 FPS uh, for some reason <laughs> while I was in the open world. Uh, I don't know what that was about. It's because it's cinematic. It's, it's cinematic. <laughs> Yeah, let's go back to the conversation from last week. Um, it's cinematic. <laughs> and so I think that one would be fun because I would love to see how that runs on a Windows Vista era PC. Because I think that's when it came out, right? It's like 2008. Yeah. Maybe it's Windows 7 Service Pack 1 or earlier, actually. I don't know. Um, but I would love to see that because it's so bad. And I think another thing that I want to do is Saints Row 2. I want to do Saints Row 2 on that PC. I want to do Xbox 360 era launch games. I want to do Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter on PC and Xbox, which is we're going to have two games next to each other that look completely different. And we're going to explain <laughs> how that was an artifact of the era. Like it's the one of the last ports that I can think of where it's almost a different, where it's a different game on PC and different game on console. 
it's really interesting. One's first person, one's third person. Um, really cool time. Uh, there's things like that I want to do. GTA 4 actually would be fascinating if we had the Xbox 360 and PS3 versions because that was the platform comparison face-off of the era. It was. I remember we sunk a huge amount of time into doing it. And, um, you know, there was a... This was kind of like what you might call the era of ignorance, <laughs> where there wasn't really any sort of uh, qualitative or quantitative analysis of how a game looks and performs. And um, so, you know, there was all manner of stuff coming about how, oh, uh, you know, PlayStation 5 isn't worse, it's just different. Oh, yeah. So PlayStation 3 <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't worse, it's just different. And kind of like, well, you know, under scrutiny, it, it's quantifiably worse in every dimension. <laughs> Uh, there are some CPU advantages at very specific points, but yeah, it's it's not great. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then there was the whole uh, thing about when the episodes came out and uh, they bundled them all together, how the PS3 version had improved and it hadn't at all. Oh, yeah. And it's, just, it's just fascinating the kind of um, sort of perception versus reality of that whole it's, era uh, uh i mean i still see it all the time nowadays on pc though this is where this apocry sure. apocryphal it, it, image, it runs fine on my it runs fine on my pc <laughs> i turned i turned off windows flow guard i turned off windows defender <laughs> and uh, the game is now running 60 fps better like i see this stuff all the time on pc it is so rare that a pc is having issues due to these uh, built-in window settings. It's pretty rare. It's always running above 60 FPS, Alex. What are you I talking know. about? Jedi. The, what, what stutter? I didn't see any stutter. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting to see how many people actually see the stutter in Jedi Survivor. I'm already seeing people that it runs at a smooth 60. doesn't. <laughs> any thoughts on this one, Oliver? Any uh, um, titles you'd like to, to see covered in the retro PC time capsule format? Oh, uh, well, maybe the original Tilu, because <laughs> yeah, I right? ran on 10 years for that. That might be fun. Wow. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't a PC version of that one, though. But it Well, there is a PC version of Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> that would be painful. Uh, I think GTA Five is fun, especially because there are so many different versions of it. And like right now, you know, on the console versions, at least you get ray tracing. Interestingly, not on PC yet, which is... Where, but you get RT shadows and RT reflections, which I took a look at last year on PC uh, on on high end consoles rather on the PS5 and Series X. So that would be a pretty fun comparison. Taking a look it at would. the old versions, the new versions, the kind of in between version that's on PC. I think it'd be an interesting video. There's uh, so Absolutely. if you could join up on us, what like do you have the ability to capture Xbox 360 and PC very easily? I'm sorry, PS3 actually, Oliver, on your end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should probably join up for one of these videos one day so it would be a lot of fun <laughs> absolutely yeah. okay well that was the final question and therefore the end of the show so if you did enjoy it please do like subscribe share ring the bell for those notional notifications uh, for me I don't get any notifications anymore from any of my uh, rung <laughs> bells. where I've rung the bell so you know <laughs> make of that what you will um, but yeah, DF supports program. Join us, join our community, pose questions for the direct, get the direct early. Lots of amazing stuff going on there. Uh, but that's all from us for this week. Thanks for watching.